0: You ever work in an organization where there's just somebody there who, in a candid moment, you would talk to another co-worker and say, you know, I really like him, but I'm not sure what he does. <laughs> That's never happened to me, okay? <laughs> you, ever, you ever that happened? Uh, you know, I'm glad they're here. I like them a lot, but I'm not sure if they do anything, okay? It's a, it's, uh, it's the old Seinfeld uh, George Costanza, who just showed up and read the paper all day. You remember that, you remember that deal? Um, well, the reason we laugh at that is because that is so monumentally out of whack, isn't it? Because we're not only called to pick up a paycheck, we're called to do something representative of that, right? Okay, so we're going to talk more today and next week about this interaction between faith and action. It's so very important to us. And um, our question of faith uh, this week from Acts 9 is going to be proven by a woman who had all kinds of evidence of her faith. Okay? Now, I want to say quickly, you, uh, you've you heard me talk about this several weeks, and I've I've given this caveat most weeks. I'm not saying that it is what you do that saves you. Okay? I'm not saying that. I believe firmly in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. All right? But, there ought to be some things that follow faith. Just naturally, more or less. Okay? So we're going to continue to talk about that. Go to Acts 9. Let me give you a, uh, um, let me give you a little background, although we don't need a whole lot. It's, I put in the in the paragraph that begins here, "Who's your go-to guy?" Well, what happened? You know, a lot of times people call on expert witnesses or or experts in a particular area. Um, um, my dad, my dad had a term that he would use for um, a guy that had a plumbing license, but not ev- evidence that he knew what he was doing. He would call them an alleged plumber. So you don't want to call ever, ask Skip, you don't want to call ever an alleged plumber. You want to call a real plumber, okay? Um, You want to call a real architect, Fred, okay? So uh, Peter had become kind of an expert on an interesting area. He was the only, he was one of maybe two on the planet living in his day, who knew about this particular thing in spades because he's witnessed a lot of it, life and death. He knew a little bit about resurrection, believe it or not. Not only because he was encountered, had an encounter with Jesus after Jesus' resurrection, but then Jesus taught Peter about resurrection. Uh, he showed him a couple that we'll talk about in a little bit. So he's kind of been the go-to guy for life and death. Now, I want us to go to verse 36. Steve Blair, uh, attired in his short sleeve shirt, he must be very hopeful that this sun is going to warm it up today. Uh, uh, I don't have that kind of faith, okay? so uh, But if you go to verse 36, we're going to read about a lady that Peter encountered by the name of Dorcas. Would you read 36, 37, and 38? her body upstairs was near Okay, now, don't get confused here. This is not two different ladies. This is a lady with two different names. Dorcas, which was probably an Aramaic name. Uh, sorry, that was a Greek name. Tabitha was probably her Hebrew or Aramaic name, okay? So, her name was Dorcas or Tabitha, or you can call her Dorcatha or Tabithas. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm good. Tabidork, does that work? I, you know, I, what goes through this brain, Okay. We'll call her for this class, Dorcas, okay? Because it's easier for me to say. All right. Now, there's something goes on here. And you're going to think I'm drinking new wine when I say this, but here we go. Dorcas has an unusual designation, okay? And here's the word that goes in the blank. She is called, in verse 36, a disciple, And you're looking at me saying, eh, what's unusual about that? At the time of the resurrection, there were 500 or so of those. You know, by by Acts 9, there were probably 10,000 or more disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. That's kind of what we, uh, it's designated for a follower of Jesus. Occurring dozens of times in the scripture, but right here, in, um, in 936 is the only time, girls perk up on this, okay? It's the only time in all the New Testament that the word disciple is, occurs in the feminine. It's a different part of speech here. The only time that a woman is, it's not that women are not described as disciples, they're included in other groups, but just specifically right here, the only time in the New Testament the word Um, disciple in the feminine form is used. So think, okay, here, um, uh, think actress and actor. This was the actress form of disciple. You and I see it in English in the same gender. There's no difference, but not in Greek, okay? So I find that really intriguing. It was very important that she get this... uh, By the way, that should say unusual, uh, unusual designation, but, but it's there. Now, what I want us to answer here for a minute is how is Dorcas described in verse 36? A woman full of good deeds, full of good works. Um, uh, she, um, uh, just very interesting, um. You ever you ever known somebody that you just say, wow, she's a good woman? Okay? Several, that fits several of you in here. That, that was Dorcas. She's just good. You know, you ever say that about some man or woman? You just say, wow, you know? I had a woman who took care of me when I was a little bitty kid. My mom was a school teacher and she went back to school um, after I was uh, a few months old. Knowing me, you can understand why she'd want to get away with me for me a little while during the day, right? And she, but she, um, she hired a family friend who would just come. My dad, she didn't even drive. My dad would go get her. And, um, and we hung out together all day till mom got home from school. Um, her name was Mary Goodson. And I called her Granny. And I thought she was my granny till I was probably an adult, okay? And I'm telling you, her name was Goodson, but she just had all of the spiritual gifts. I mean, she was just good. Well, that's what this lady was like. She, uh, and she's described here as doing good. Uh, in particular, uh, she's, it's very uh, uh, evident that, Miriam, I thought of you this week when I was studying this, because she really had a ministry to widows which you do. How many of those girls do you minister to? Well, it fluctuates. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Does Bill flip hamburgers for all 52 of those widows? Okay. Uh, uh, he like those parties. Okay, that's good. Uh, isn't that wonderful that Miriam has got a heart for widows? Uh, this lady had a heart for lots of people, but in particular, widows. Okay. Now, when you read verse 37, what's remarkable to me is that there is very little detail given or emotion. Put the word emotion in your second blank. Okay. It just reads, um, just kind of like, like reading the paper. Um, it reads, and it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. When they'd wash their body, they laid it in the upper room. It's just kind of like reading them. Uh, okay, Wednesday of this week, I'm doing some work, and a, uh, a push notification from my phone comes over from the Oklahoman, and it says simply this. It reminded me of this as I was working on it. Evangelist Billy Graham dies at 99. Preached, uh, reached millions. That's kind of a, an economy of words to describe a guy that's done. I mean, and then, of course, since then, the papers are full of it. The Internet's blown up by stories of Billy Graham, and rightfully so. Because he has done so much. The body of his work is incredible. But it was just interesting to me when I was reading this. I was was thinking, okay, my original notification that Billy Graham had died was just Billy Graham died in 99. Do you catch that here in verse 37? It's like an economy of words is used no no emotions involved. We're going to see emotions in a bit. Um, now, when I think of why, okay, I'm going to steal my own thunder here, but when I think of why that may be, I'm realizing that this story was later written by Dr. Luke, who, by the time he's writing this story, knows Dorcas is living now, so, okay, uh, so, but it's interesting, she died, that's basically what he says, and, they, and if you notice, they kind of cleaned the body up, and they put it in uh, an upper room, and up, uh, this upstairs room, Now, this is interesting here, because this upstairs room, there are references all over scriptures to an upstairs room, including the uh, first Lord's Supper, where the church would meet So you got to think about this. As we talk about the church in Joppa, it could be that not only was um, Dorcas had this widow's ministry and lots of other things going on, but it very well could have been that her house was the house where the church met. There were not buildings like this in those days. Uh, We are at, we're in the A.D. 30s. I mean, the church is less than a decade old and they were meeting in houses for hundreds of years. And right here, could it be, just conjecture, could it be that Dorcas' house was the place where the church met? So what you've got to think about is the church, okay, their house of worship has now become a house of death. Don't take that too far, but it's, okay, where we go to church... Uh, there's a lady laying in state there. Okay, so that's kind of, kind of the thought, thought here. Now, verse 38 is interesting, especially in context of verse 37. Men are dispatched to Peter. Peter is in, um, in um, Joppa, which is on the Mediterranean coast. It is part of the, uh, what was originally allotted to the tribe of Dan, it's a Jewish city. It's the closest seaport to Jerusalem. So it's kind of a bustling place. What else do you know about Joppa? Remember anything from the Old Testament about Joppa? Okay. Now, that, he, he is there now, yeah. and they're going to come get him. Uh, Joppa is where Jonah ran off to. Remember that? Got on a boat in Joppa. Not exactly a good idea, but he did. Okay, remember it got him in all kinds of trouble? So um, what you got to catch here is that these, uh, uh, you know, the church kind of gathers quickly. Man, Dorcas is gone, but we know that 12 miles away, Peter is there, and he's an expert on resurrection. (laughs) Don't you love that? So their request is pretty urgent. She's been cleaned up, put upstairs. They don't embalm her. Why? Because Jews don't do that. Okay. In those days. All right. Uh, so it uh, before they lay her to rest, it's like, you know what? I hear Peter's just 12 miles away. You two guys go get him. So the request is really urgent. I find this interesting that Verse 36, uh, sorry, verse 37 is not all that, you know, it's not, doesn't seem urgent and all that. We talked about that a minute ago. But 38 really is. Go get Peter. Okay, so you've got to catch this, all right? Um, uh, they need Peter, and they need him now. Okay, so, um, so they, they make the trip. And find him. I think this is very, very interesting. Let's look at the next two or three verses. John, do you mind to read 39 down to 43? Okay, now, that's the rest of the story. Let's back up just a little bit. She's still dead in verse 38, okay? All right. I'm still dead, yeah. Uh, so, these men go and they find Peter in Joppa. Now, let me, let me deal with some of the logistics of this. Who knows how long after, let's say she died in the night. It's six or seven, eight o'clock in the morning and they say to these guys, go get Peter, because he's an expert on this kind of stuff, it, at a rate of three miles an hour, I don't know how fast you walk. That sounds like a lot to me, but okay. At the rate of three miles an hour, it would take them four hours to get to Joppa, then they got to find Peter. But clearly, and, and by the way, if you, if you read, I, I think I'm reading it correctly in context. When they get to Peter, Peter... Um, uh, is, hey, let's go. Okay? So there's probably not, he probably doesn't let a, let a lot of time pass once they find him, but you could argue that it takes about eight hours for them to get to Joppa and for him to him to go back with them. By the way, whoever <laughs> they sent must have been Olympians, you know? Because uh, they walked 12 miles and then right back 12 miles. Walked 24 miles in a day. That seemed like a lot to me, but that's what it. Is. So what you got to deal with here is probably, in all likelihood, Dorcas has been dead twenty-four hours or less. Think about that's kind of interesting. Yeah, but you got to remember, Peter seen Jesus raise Lazarus, who was dead a whole lot longer than that. Isn't it interesting that the urgency here? which was also the urgency in John 11 that Joe's talking about with the raising of Lazarus. Jesus didn't get in all that much of a hurry. Remember, it took him two or three days to get there. But there's an urgency here, and Peter kind of senses it, and off he goes. Okay. Now, what was this scene in the last part of 39 as Peter arrives in the house of Dorcas? A lot of weeping, a lot of weeping. You know, it's interesting to me when I compare this verse with verse 37. uh, Not a lot of emotion in 37. There's a whole lot of emotion here. They're beside themselves. It's not that just they're going to miss her. She is very important to them, very important to the church. And there are a lot of people that are being taken care of by this lady who now won't be taken care of. And they're concerned about that. Okay. So there's a lot going on. Um, what Talk to me about what they showed, Peter. Do what? Yeah, they sh- literally, they had examples of good works. Look at this. Look at this. Now, could it be that everyone in the room upstairs was wearing something that Dorcas had made them? Could it be that those are all widow women? I don't know. But in whatever way, Look at the detail of this. Look how beautiful this is. Look how good she was at this. She made these for us and for people who were less fortunate. Okay? So the scene is really interesting here, I think. Um, um, so, um, Peter does an interesting thing here. Um, after they kind of show him everything, and um, and they they call her here, um, they they really call out her good works, you know, all those good things that she's done. Um, Peter says, in the first part of verse forty, okay, um, he says, okay, I need everybody to clear the room. Interesting. He's the expert, okay? We're going to do what he said. Probably distracted somewhat by the noise, and he just needs to be alone with God, okay? So, uh, what you and I have got to catch here is that the reason he did this, I think, is because he has witnessed this scene before. This is not his first resurrection, (laughs) okay? Isn't that interesting to you? It is kind of to me. Peter has seen resurrection before. He's seen Lazarus, but more importantly, he's, he was in the room when Jesus raised back to life a little girl. Now go with me to Mark 5. Cindy, can I get you to read that little story? Mark 5, it'll start in 35, go down to 43. in Peter's first rodeo. And what I want you to catch here, there were three in that room with Jesus. Who were they? Peter, James, and John. James is dead. He's been martyred already. James is dead. John is elsewhere. But there's only two people in the world who have been in this kind of an intimate setting when somebody was clearly brought back to life. This, I think it's interesting here on the on the story that Cindy read that they kind of laughed at Jesus when, when he said, you know, she's not dead. You know who they were talking to? The one who in John 14 would say, I am the way, the truth, and the, what's that third word? Life. He is the giver of life. Everywhere he went, he gave life. He is life. Does he know anything about death and life? Oh, you betcha. So, Peter just does what he has seen done before. He literally almost copies word for word what Jesus has said. Uh, Jesus, it's recorded I think interestingly in the uh, the account that Cindy read uh, Jesus used, they, they quoted in Aramaic here Talitha uh, kum, which little girl get up, now don't get too focused on this but isn't it interesting that Talitha and Tabitha only have one letter difference, I, I find that interesting yeah Talitha so uh He just says to her, notice he gets down on his knees. He prays. Aren't you glad he does that? And then he just says, says, get up. They lock eyes. She sees Peter. He's had a really long nap. And she gets up, and Peter Takes her by the hand and helps her to her feet. Why does he do this? Because he watched Jesus do it in Matthew, in Mark 5. He's just doing what the Master did. You remember in John 14, 12? He had said to all of them, You will do greater things than I have done. Don't you suppose that all of them are, are. Those of them them that knew about it would say, okay, wait a minute. We're not going to bring anybody back alive, surely. Ha. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, in verse 41, Dorcas lives. By the way, I put the reference to Luke 8. You get a little bit different detail from Luke when he tells it. It's Luke also who is telling this story, uh, but you get a little a little more detail uh, of Jairus' daughter uh, from Luke 8 because you got a doctor describing it. So uh, it, mostly the same story, but it's a little bit di- different detail. Now, look at verse 42. I, w- I want us to read it again. In verse 42, what happens as the people hear the good news? Okay? Something pretty dramatic happens here. Let's go to verse 42. it became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Now, by the way, okay, where's Joppa? 12 miles northeast. Northwest, sorry. I've got to think geography here for a minute. 12 miles northwest. But it became all, known all over Joppa. Remember, that's where he started out and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed for several days in the home of a tanner named Simon. Now, uh, what happens as the people hear the good news, some pretty incredible things happen, uh, and rightly so. Um, uh, he um, um, There is a bonus to this resurrection. Not only does Dorcas live, and the widows are cared for, all that. But the news travels that this has happened, and it's wonderfully good news, and it causes people to turn to the Lord in faith. Do you know that's what we're supposed to do? Do you know that uh, I live these days, especially in this series, with Matthew 5.16. I probably should have had us um, uh, memorize it together. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. Wow. Resurrections are taking place 12 miles from here. So people began to believe. Now, um, Peter stays on in Joppa for a little while, but he stays with um, uh, a kind of an unlikely host. He's unlikely because he uh, is a tanner, and Jewish people don't mess with dead things. So, um, so this guy is probably not a Jew, but he may be a believer in Jesus. Um, so he stays on and continues to, to, um, to share the gospel in that place. And people are saved and uh, the church has grown and all of those kinds of things. It's incredible. Now, what I want you to deal with here is the legacy? Want us to deal with for a minute, with the legacy of Dorcas. What was Dorcas's legacy? <laughs> you would have thought, as we read verse thirty-nine, that her uh, her legacy, or verse thirty-seven, would have been all these clothes that she'd made. The legacy of Dorcas, right up here, pal, right there. Uh, The legacy of Dorcas, her faith resulted in other people finding faith in Christ. Her faith resulted in others having faith, which is pretty amazing to me. Now, tell you about some things. So let me fill in your blanks. Acts of faith, acts of good, really, was her legacy. Based on her faith. I read a story this week that I would heard before. By the way, don't believe everything you read on social media, okay? Uh, It was interesting. Uh, I've seen posted dozens of times this week uh, a quote from Billy Graham that Billy Graham didn't actually say. Uh, Had something to do with, uh, don't let them tell you I'm dead. I'm very much alive. Billy Graham didn't say that. Actually, D.L. Moody said that and it was a great thing, and Billy would have agreed with it, but he didn't say it, okay? He did say this. This is a story I read years ago, and I thought, okay, when he dies, I've got to remember to share it. Billy Graham is now, this was when he was 86, so 13 years ago, with Parkinson's disease. In January 2000, leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favorite son, Billy Graham, to a luncheon in his honor. Billy initially hesitated to accept the invitation because he struggles with Parkinson's disease, but the Charlotte leader said, we don't expect a major address, just come and let us honor you. So he came. After wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped to the rostrum, looked at the crowd, and said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physicist, who this month has been honored by Time magazine as a man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the conductor came down the aisle punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached in his trouser pockets. It wasn't there, so he looked in his briefcase but couldn't find it. Then he looked in the seat behind him, still couldn't find it. So the conductor said, Dr. Einstein, I know you are. We all know you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw the great physicist down on his hands and knees looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I too know who I am. What I don't know is where I'm going. (laughs) Now, Billy told that story. Having said that, Billy Graham continued, See the suit I'm wearing? You'll see it this week. See the suit I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My wife, my children, my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little slovenly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious. So I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I'll be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. The the key to knowing where you're going is faith. And the evidence of faith is acting that faith out.